don't know about you, but I'm always distracted by his stupid Ohio State hat. He needs to get rid of that thing. Burn it! Burn it! Uh, one thing he mentioned uh, that I do want to highlight is um, we do have, uh, we spend during family month, spend a lot of time and energy to try to resource your, your family to have spiritual conversations regardless of whatever your family looks like. And so that's why we take the, the time and the money and the energy to put together uh, the devotional uh, booklets. And so it runs all the way through the month. And so even if you're just kind of coming in uh, the, right now, the first time, that's okay. Um, there's plenty of these to pick up uh, at the Connect counter. You can pick one up, uh, use it this week. I actually got a text from somebody uh, this last couple of weeks, uh, a week ago, and uh, they have little kids, and this is the first time they've ever been doing anything like that. And uh, and every single night, their daughter, who's like four years old, goes and gets the book, and they you know they feel busy and like they don't have time, but the daughter won't let them miss it. And so uh, super super cool. So spend time as a family uh, reading the scriptures together. There's also a couple other things in the packet that you receive. There's an invite card. Um, definitely invite somebody to come along as we dive into the scriptures. Um, all of the the scriptures that we're gonna use today will be on the screen. If you want to take pictures of anything that's said, you can do that. Uh, or if you need to doodle or take some notes, that's available to you as well. And finally, um, there are some, uh, a handful of um, these beautiful, lovely family month signs, uh, yard signs that are still available. And so uh, there's people around you, people that your neighbors, friends, put them on your boss's lawn, something, I don't know. Um, you would grab one and invite somebody to come to church with you next week. So, well, one of the challenging things about church is it's easy to think that coming to faith somehow fixes everything. That, that when we step into a relationship with God, like it allows us to sort of skip these huge steps or take shortcuts through the process of us becoming who we're supposed to become. So in 1981, I was six years old and we got our first Atari 2600. Anybody remember those? Like if you're under like 35, just tune out for a second. Let the old people have a moment, all right? Uh, but we got one of these. It was amazing. We played Asteroid for hours and hours and hours. And if you don't know what that is, you're missing out. It was awesome. But it wasn't until a few years later in 1985 that I played my, my very first arcade game. And that was uh, Super Mario Brothers. I remember when Super Mario Brothers came out, there was a gas station down the street from the apartments that we lived in. And for whatever reason, the gas station decided they wanted to have a Super Mario Brothers in there, bring all the kids there to buy all the soda and stuff. And so I would scrimp and save. And every, anytime I got a quarter, we would hop on our bikes and we'd ride down to the Super Mario Brothers, to the gas station to play Super Mario Brothers. And I was terrible. But, but if you remember that game, there were hidden levels and areas of the game where you could find these tubes that would warp you ahead in the game allowing you to sort of skip over whole entire worlds and whole entire levels. And if you figured out the right system, you could skip all the way to the end of the game and just do the boss level and beat the game. And I think sometimes that's the way that we view faith, that, that Jesus is just this cheat code, that faith is this warp tube that allows you to skip over different levels, the hard stuff, different processes that are necessary for us to learn to grow and to change and that it will just transport you to the place that where we want to be, where God wants us to be, where God's trying to take us, where we win the game without really too much effort. And what's difficult about that is that when we come to faith, there are a lot of things that do change immediately. I mean, Jesus brings dead things back to life. We just sang about that, right? His love, his grace, his forgiveness, 
It begins to heal us and change us from the moment that we step into that relationship. The problem is, is we want to believe that that's how it's going to be with everything, that we step into a relationship with Jesus and he just sprinkles his magic Jesus juju over us and everything about our life is fixed without us really having to do anything. I've actually met so many talented, intelligent, passionate, gifted people who have jacked up marriages and families because they don't actually know how to have or how to create long-term life-giving relationships. And they're frustrated because they believe in God and they have faith and they've trusted their life to Jesus, but they have the same obstacles, the same challenges, the same problems, the same patterns in their family, in their marriage, in their relationships as people who don't believe in God. See, I think the reality is most of us think that when we come to faith, it's just gonna shift every part of our life. If we would just believe in Jesus that now our lives, including our relationships, including our family are just gonna magically play out differently. The problem is even after you believe in God, even after you come to Jesus, you're still you and the people in your family, well, they're still them. See, the the truth is, is that you can be an awesome person and still lack the skills that are necessary to build healthy relationships, still lack the ability to create a strong, healthy family. I mean, you probably know somebody that fits that description. They're a great guy. They're an awesome lady. They seem to get along with everybody, but somehow their core relationships are a mess. How does that, how does that happen? How does that work? And so that's why we, that's why we do family month. That's why we spend a month every year just talking about this stuff because that's what this is about. It's about the challenges and the processes that we all have to go through to create a healthy marriage, a healthy family, a healthy relationship, about the work that we have to do, about the ways that we need to grow, of the truths that we need to learn, the things we need to unlearn, and the lies that we need to let go of. See, regardless of where you're at in your faith and where you're at in your relationships and family, we all know Relationships are complex because humans are complex. And there's so many tricky parts to navigate with when it comes to family. And one of those, one of those tricky parts to navigate, one of those things is just friendships. It's people outside your family, which is kind of surprising, right? I mean, that one of the hardest things about creating healthy relationships with the people inside your family is the relationships that you have with people outside of your family. I mean, it's hard enough that you're trying to overcome whatever baggage you have and overcome whatever baggage they have, but now you have to deal with the fact that all these outside relationships are affecting the inside relationships of your family. Maybe, maybe it's all, not all that surprising. Like in, in our culture, we tend to swing back and forth between two extremes. Like we all know people who are completely devoted to their family, really at the cost of any sort of real friendships, And then we also know people who are completely devoted to their friends, really at the cost of their own relationships in their family. And and it's not hard to understand why there's, there's two extremes because we all only have so much time, right? We only have so much energy. We only have so much space in our lives. And so you gotta make judgment calls. You gotta make choices. Like, have you ever had an argument or a fight with someone in your family because of a connection one of you has with someone outside of your family? When my wife and I, we've been married 28 years. When we first got married, uh, I have a, a big old like family of origin. I have 
uh, four brothers and two sisters. And so uh, my brothers, we grew up like all best friends and really, really close. And, um, and when we got married, like we had been, we, they lived in about an hour away from the city that I was in. And so we had been in this rhythm and routine where every single weekend, two of my brothers drove in from where they lived and we all spent the weekend together. And it just I didn't even dawn on me that when we got married, that probably wasn't what, how she wanted to spend her weekends. And so for the first few months, that kind of happened. Like they would drive in, they just, now they had a place to crash. They would crash at our place and we were super poor. And I thought it was a great deal because they would drive in and they would, we would all go to dinner. And because they were crashing at our place, they would buy dinner. So we got a free meal out of it. We got to hang out. It was great. I had no idea. She was not a fan. I mean, I was living, it was great. Ultimately, we ended up, um, when you're a pastor, you don't have heated arguments, you have warm discussions. So we had a very warm discussion about my, bro- about my brothers staying at our house. Sometimes in those moments, the problem is the relationship itself, right? Like it's just naturally unhealthy or destructive, but sometimes it's just the way that that person or that relationship is impacting the person in your family. And because it's impacting them, it's impacting the family. And so there's tension and there's frustration and it boils over and you have this fight of why do we got to always deal with this? And I don't like that. And this isn't working for me. So there's that side of it. Then there's the other side, one that most of us probably hear more often. And and most of us have likely said in some form ourselves, especially if you're married and have kids, is that family is everything. Family is everything. We hear that all the time. It's said all the time in our culture. And often it's code for family is the only thing. And honestly, when you say it, it kind of sounds right. Especially when you look around at broken families and all the damage that's been done to people as a result and marriages ending in divorce and just all a mess. It's like, man, you just gotta, if you got a good family, hold on to it. Marriage, you know, family is everything. And also on top of that, when you look in the scriptures, if you go all the way back to the beginning, to our origins. In Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says this, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so I will make a helper suitable for him. See, God designed life so that we cannot become who we were created to be on our own. And and there's this paradox of the human condition is that you can only become yourself in relationship to other people. And so it wasn't good for us to be alone. And so what does God do? Does he create him a bud, a bruh, a bro, a wingman? No, he makes him a wife and he forms the first family. And we're like, okay, there you go. Family's everything. It's, the, it's what God, God created right there in that first moment when we needed somebody. But the thing is, his family wasn't actually meant to be an end unto itself. In fact, when you look at the way that God created us, the things that he said and did and the responsibilities that he charged us with, it actually becomes kind of obvious that family is not an end unto itself. In Genesis chapter one, in verses 27 and 28, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule and reign over it, reign over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He gives this whole charge to humanity. See, we were created to become healthy, mature capable people who reflect the heart and the character of the God whose image we bear. That is our design, our purpose. Now, 
our family, whatever that looks like, is a big part of that. Of course it is. But it's not, it's not the only part. What's interesting, and you may have experienced this or you may know people who have experienced this, you may have watched it play out in other people and other families. When we make family everything, ironically, it actually tends to backfire. Is we tend to have less of a chance of becoming a healthy, mature, and capable human being when family is everything. Instead, we end up with people who expect their spouse to meet all of their needs and they end up crushing them and suffocating the relationship because family's everything. We end up with families that revolve solely around the kids and the marriage suffers. You end up with helicopter parents who pressure their kids to do and be what they wish they could have done and been. You end up with kids who are so sheltered and coddled that they don't actually know how to function in the world. We end up with delayed adolescence where you have 20 and 30 and 40 year old adolescents. You end up with parents who overshare their problems and emotions with their kids because they don't have any friends of their own. You end up with lots and lots of adults who are codependent and unhealthy. We end up with families that come apart when the nest is empty because it's defined solely, the family was defined solely by the parent-child relationship. And part of the reason that we end up here is that we're sold this myth in our culture that when you find and settle down with the right person, you will be complete. That they're the missing piece in your life. They'll fill in all the gaps. They'll fulfill you and they'll meet all of your needs. If you wanna feel old, I looked it up this week. It's been almost 30 years since Jerry Maguire stormed into his living room and declared to Dorothy Boyd in a moment of touching romance and completely flawed relational nonsense, you complete me. And she said, you had me at hello. You had me at hello. And we all bought it. Now, there's so many problems with that idea, not the least of which that another person could make you whole. I mean, if that's true, what does that say about single people? Are they just doomed to a life of incompleteness and a lack of fulfillment? Sorry, you didn't find your other piece, so you get to be half a person. And then there's just the pressure of which you do find someone that it puts on the relationship when you're dating somebody or you end up marrying them, that they're supposed to complete you. I mean, how many relationships have been killed because we expected to get from each other what we can only get from God? See, family is important. It is. It's hugely important. If you're married or have kids, it's, it's the main thing. It's the primary thing. It's just not everything because we need other people in our lives. In fact, when you begin to read the scriptures, God seems to think that we need lots and lots of different kinds of people, different types of relationships in our life for us to become who he created us to be. I mean, he says, we don't often think about it in these terms, but just think about some of the scriptures that you maybe even be familiar with, even in the New Testament. He says things like this in 1 Peter chapter four. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another well. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Apostle Paul wrote these words, so encourage each other and build each other up. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good service. And so just in a few verses, you get the ideas of sharing and loving and serving and encouraging and building up and motivating. And of course, those are things that we should be doing inside our families, but you need those kinds of relationships outside your family too, because after all, these verses weren't written to families. They were written to faith communities. They were written to people like you and I trying to figure out what it's like to relate to one another. See, every single person, every single one of us, we need healthy friendships outside of our family for us to fulfill our God-given design and destiny, for us to become that mature, healthy, capable adult that reflects the heart and the character of the God whose image that we bear. Everybody needs healthy friendships outside their family. We just do. When you look at all the significant people and stories in the scriptures, almost all of them have lots of different relationships in their life that played significant roles in their stories. So in the Old Testament, there's a guy named David. He's kind of a central figure. If you're not familiar with who he is, he was a warrior and a poet and a songwriter and ended up being the second king in Israel. He slayed a giant. He established Jerusalem. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And really, looking back, he's Israel's greatest king, especially at least in terms of the story of Jesus. But he he didn't do it alone. He was a husband, yes, he was a father, he was a devoted father, but he also had different people in his life at different times along the way who challenged him and helped him and encouraged him and called him out sometimes. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is going back before any of his his fame, any of the king stuff, any of the slaying the giant stuff, any of that happens. And the prophet Samuel shows up and he's just a shepherd boy on the side of a hill, shows up and encourages him and speaks God's calling and God's truth over David's life. In 1 Samuel Chapters 18 to 23, if you're familiar with David, you know that one of his closest friends, his name was Jonathan, that they're best friends. And they had been through a lot of stuff together because Jonathan's dad was the king and he was trying to kill David. I mean, talk about a complicated relationship. If your dad was trying to kill your best friend, that would be complicated. But Jonathan was someone David could be real with. He he was someone that had walked through all the crazy ups and downs. In fact, in a dark moment in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, it says this, it says, Jonathan went to David in this dark moment. He went to David at Horesh and he helped him find strength in God. I absolutely, this is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 12, there's a guy named Nathan. He had become the prophet who God chose to be the prophet after the previous prophet Samuel had died. And he was close to David and one of his advisors. And he confronts David and speaks the truth to him about all the shady stuff he had done when he committed adultery with those late night booty calls with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, tells us of David's mighty men where he had 37 men who fought for him, who went to war for him, who sacrificed themselves for him, who believed in him when nobody else believed in him. See, the point is you need the same thing. You need people, different types of people and different types of relationships. You need people who will encourage you and challenge you and believe in you and help you and counsel you and speak truth to you and go to war for you. You need people who you can be real with and trust, people to talk things through with and problem solve, people who got your back, people who will speak truth to you about the shady stuff that 
you're doing in your life. Because let's be honest, you are, because we all are. We all have those little secret things, those little places that we, we're not the person that we know we should be. We're not the person that we want to be. And you need people who know you well enough to know that stuff and also have the courage to speak to you about it. And you certainly need people who will help build your faith, who will help you find strength in God. The interesting thing with David is not only were there all these different kinds of people in his life, but they all weren't around at the same time. See, sometimes there are people in your life for the long haul. We often think it's way more people than it actually is. Most of the time, God brings different people into our lives for different reasons and for different seasons. That they come alongside of us and journey with us during this season. They come alongside of us and are helpful and supportive and loving and encouraging and help us solve this thing. So Solomon, who was David's son and became king after him, he had all of this wisdom that he put down on paper about friendship and relationships, and he wrote about it in a book called Proverbs in the Scriptures. And I can't help but wonder if so much of the source of his wisdom when it came to relationships came from just watching his dad work it out, watching his dad have all these different relationships, watching his dad with the, the 37 men that traveled with him, watching his dad and his relationship with the people around him hearing the stories of his dad's friendship with Jonathan. Solomon says this in Proverbs 27, 17. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. If you've ever worked with metal at all or created anything with metal, you know that it takes a couple of things. It takes a lot of pressure and it takes a lot of fire. So at, when we planted our, our first church, um, we had a guy that was, like fabricated things and, and made different stuff and was kind of a metal worker. And so he wanted to make these, uh, these metal signs that we would put out uh, for guests. And, uh, and so we were kind of trying to do things on the cheap. And so I went over and he was like making these things and man, he was welding things. And there were sparks flying and things were hot and he was hammering stuff. And just, it was, it was an, an intense process. And, and what an interesting image for him to give us about friendship. The image of sharpening iron, the image of a lot of heat and hammering and sparks flying everywhere. Because that seems like the kind of relationship that we would normally try to avoid. That seems like the kind of situation where we'd be like, no thanks, don't need that kind of drama in my life. But part of having healthy friendships is being willing to have friction with people. And that's part of the challenge that we have is because we, we just don't know how to handle or navigate conflict. And so I, I think that's, that's partly why we gravitate towards the family is everything thing because things got sideways between somebody, between us and somebody that we love, somebody that we thought was gonna be around for the long haul or somebody took off on us. And we don't know how to navigate that. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to repair that relationship. And so we just start going, we start getting jaded about it all and just go, you know what, forget it. It's family. Because even if they get mad, they're stuck with me. Even if we can't figure it out, we'll just be angry together. Maybe you're thinking, but I have great friends. We've never, we've never fought. To which I would say, if you've never fought, you don't actually know if they're a great friend or not. Because you only know who's your friend after the fight. See, I, I think... One of the challenges in this area, as I was thinking back, Hansi and I were talking yesterday of how true this is. 
is we have people that have been so close to us in our journey and pastoring and people that have come alongside us and been a part of our church and help us launch and get things going. And it moved beyond just them being a part of the church that we became friends. But I mean, I can think of more than 10 examples of those relationships where as soon as there was conflict, we didn't take off, they bounced. It was disposable. Why? Because we just don't know how to navigate that friction, that conflict, that challenge. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse six, Solomon says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, an enemy is just telling you what you wanna hear. Enemies will tell you, make you feel good. Beware of people who only tell you what you wanna hear. Because speaking the truth takes courage. It takes loving you enough to risk offending you. It takes loving you enough to, to risk speaking up and you withdrawing from the relationship. I, I'm grateful because I have a, a few different friendships that have been in my life for a, quite a while. One of my closest friends, his name's Donnie, and he was my junior high pastor and then my youth pastor, and he performed our wedding, and we've been friends since I was 12 years old, which sounds strange. But Donnie and I have had friction. Donnie and I have showed up for each other in really difficult circumstances. Donnie and I have spoken truth to each other. Donnie and I have taken the risk. And that's the thing. See, in our culture, we tend to think of friends only as fun and social. I mean, they're the people that we hang out to to escape our normal life, to escape all the drama, including our families. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with some of that stuff. But when you read the scriptures, God frames and defines them differently as, as something deeper and more significant than just hanging out. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, I think one of the interesting things when you read the Bible is that God actually cares about your friendships. God actually cares about who you bring into your life because he understands what you need and what you were created for and how you're wired. It's interesting to me that we're looking at the Bible, we're looking at the scriptures, at the, at the book that we, understand, you know, that we look to to understand who God is. And many of us believe that it teaches us how to connect to God and where we came from and how God relates to us. And yet it's in that book that it talks to us about human friendship. And so he says, choose carefully. That when it comes to friendships and relationships, you should choose carefully. It literally means to spy out, to take time to investigate, to explore carefully. I think some of us aren't choosy enough when it comes to making friends because everybody's just our friend. In my experience, some of the people who look like they have the most friends are actually usually the most alone. And the truth is, if you're tight with everybody, you probably ain't tight with nobody. On the other end of the spectrum, there's some of us that are just way too choosy. You don't let anybody in. You find a reason to keep everybody at arm's length, probably because of some experience you had, some hurt, some betrayal something that you've held on to. Everybody's too much work. If you don't instantly click with them, if they're not down with everything you're down with, 
you just write them off. I wonder how many of us have missed out on amazing relationships, ones that we needed because we were hyper-focused on these superficial differences because there was a little bit of friction. And if we'd only been willing to dig a little bit deeper, we'd have discovered something deeper was possible and we could really have connected with them. And that been a life-giving relationship. It's kind of strange because in our culture, especially the concept of intentionality in our friendships is pretty foreign to us. I mean, because connection is just something that happens, right? I mean, it's like when you connect with a friend, it's kind of like that, that spark of, it's the same kind of thing as they yeah, had that spark of romance with somebody else, right? If they're the right kind of person, you'll just click. They'll make you laugh. You'll just vibe with them. You'll be into the same things. You'll hate the same people. Nothing bonds people together like that, like hating the same people. You'll see yourself in them and you'll just be like, there is something, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something I like about you. We're alike, that's right. Yeah, you remind me of my favorite person, me. You know you know that moment in Step Brothers? You know what I'm talking about? Did we just become best friends? Yes, yes, we did. And the confusing thing is that it happens sometimes, Right? But, but God in this, I think, is going, you need to know the difference. You need to know the difference when you just clicked with somebody for a moment and that's fine, you can hang out. But is there something deeper? Are there other people that you can journey with farther? Not everybody you click with is good for you or good for you right now. And wisdom says, no, 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 this is too important. This matters too much. You gotta spy out your friendships. You gotta do some recon. See, the wise don't drift into relationships on accidents. They choose them carefully. They're intentional about their connections and their friends. They choose where and how they invest their time, their emotions, their energy. Because it's not just shaping you. It's not just shaping and impacting their life. It's shaping and impacting their family. Doesn't mean you don't love and accept people. Doesn't mean you're not friendly. Just means that you take responsibility for the depth and the quality of your friendships. In Proverbs chapter 30, 13, verse 20, Solomon writes, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Does that sound like something we should leave to chance? I don't think so. Because I, I've lived just like you, probably on both sides of that equation. You've been, you've walked with some people that just improved your life, that their wisdom, that you, your, your life had a depth and a wisdom to it that it didn't have before they came alongside you. You've also suffered the harm because you were friends with a fool. You've also done some damage because you were the fool that somebody was friends with. The last part of Proverbs 12, 26, which we read a few minutes ago, it says that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Yeah, I think this is just God telling us that for better or for worse, your friends will shape who you become and they will shape and impact your family in the process. So you, you don't just need friends in addition to your family. You need the right kind of friends to help you become the right kind of family. And, and I think that's the good news. Because it doesn't matter what your family looks like or the things that got broken somewhere along the way. 
doesn't matter what kind of relationships you have, or you're married or single, that you can become the healthy, mature, capable person who reflects the heart and character of the God whose image you bear. Not because you have the perfect little family unit, but because we've built relationships both inside and outside our family that are moving us towards God, that are moving us towards health, that are moving us towards our best selves. I I think that's part of what makes church such a powerful place and a powerful experience. See, if church is only a place that you go for an hour to 70 minutes on Sunday morning, it has value, there's no doubt about it. But the power of this place is not this moment. It's the people around you. It's the small group that you're in when you get together and you share life and you pray together and you wrestle with the stuff that we're talking about. It's the rooted group that you're in when you are learning what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. It's the relationships you build. Church is a place that you put down roots, that you build friendships with people who are traveling the same path as you. You can find a people who will support and encourage and help and challenge you, people who will have your back and people who will call out the best in you and help you find strength in God when you're having trouble finding it on your own. And honestly, when you begin to read in the New Testament and you follow the life of Jesus, Jesus was close to his family. He was. But he also said some crazy stuff about family that when you look at it on the surface, it was, he was hyperbolic and all kinds of these things about talking about, you know, you come to me, you got to hate your mom and dad. And, you know, it's all this stuff that you look at it and go, what is he talking about? And then when you follow Jesus' personal life, he had all these relationships and friendships in his life outside of family. And if Jesus needed that, if the son of God needed that, you and I probably need that too. We probably need some people who are gonna help us move towards the life that we're supposed to be living. I mentioned earlier that Hansi and I have been married 28 years. There's not a single person that's more significant in my life uh, that has impacted my life more than her. Not a single person that's more responsible for any of the wins that I've experienced in my life. Not a single person that's celebrated them more. Not a single person that's been there in the moments of failure and pain and mess and brokenness. And so there is this beautiful thing about family and marriage and your relationship with your kids that you, you have those experiences. But all of the wins and losses, all of those ups and downs, all of those good, all that good and bad, as significant as she is, as significant as my children are, and they are, there's also been friends along the way who've stepped in, who showed up when the, bo- life, when the bottom fell out of our life, who stepped in and shouldered the load to help us start a church shouldered the load that they were there when people started coming to faith and giving their hearts to Christ. All of those wins happened because of my family and because of my friends. And so here's my challenge to you, very practical step that I hope that you will take. That you wouldn't just do this mentally, but you would actually write down, take an inventory 
of the friendships in your life and the kinds of friends in your life. And then whatever your family looks like, those that are closest to you, those that you love, sit down with them and go, hey, here's my friends. Do you think these people are making me and our family better? And let them answer. Not just like, hey, do you like these people? I mean, that, that, that's part, like that, there's a real part of that, right? Because you have couple friends and like one of you vibes with one of them, but the other's like, I don't know. He's kind of weird. He just talks about work all the time or like, I don't know. She just wants to make bread, you know? <laughs> they got like a gazillion cats, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Just, people are into all kinds of weird stuff. So I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not like, well, I mean, he's cool and he makes you better. And helps you and, you know, be a better husband. But also he's super weird because he's in, you know, he went to Comic-Con, all right? Like, whatever. <clears throat> so I'm not just talking about that. Not just are they fun to be around. Of course, you need those, you need those people. But who are the people that are gonna travel with you? Who are the people that are investing in your life? Who are the people that are calling out the best in you? Who are the people that are saying, hey, I love you. Don't go down that path. Hey, God is for you. I think you might find that one of the best things that you could do for your family is to invest in the right relationships outside of your family. And then finally, if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, like I know at the beginning, I talked about how stepping into a relationship with Jesus doesn't magically fix everything, and it doesn't. But talk about the lead domino. Things begin to change when you start connecting to the God whose image you bear. When you step into faith with his son, Jesus, and receive his love and his grace and his truth. And he begins to heal you from all those betrayals and all the mess and all the stuff that's happened in your family of origin, your parents or your kids or your family or those coworkers or those neighbors, all of the stuff, all the noise that's rolling around in your soul. And then the best part is you don't have to try to do any of this on your own because there there are things that he won't do for you. But even those things, he doesn't leave you to do them on your own. You can begin to heal and do the hard work to grow and actually learn how to navigate conflict and learn how to communicate and learn how to connect with people and learn how to go deeper and get below the surface. Like you, you don't have to like grow in those areas on your own. You can actually have the son of God. You can have your creator walking through those experiences with you. Let's pray together.